little over a hundred years ago, one of the most popular things, maybe not popular word, but one of the things that was going on that a lot of people were involved with was the fact it was the age where people were advancing in so many areas. And one of them was dealing with the polar issues. In other words, there were people who were saying, we need to see if we can get to the North Pole. We want to see if we can get to the South Pole. And it sort of had a race among like the Norwegians and the British and the French. And they were all trying to see who could get there first. One of the guys who was a Garrett guy that many of you may be familiar with, uh, or maybe not, but he's an interesting guy. His name is Ernest Shackleton, and Shackleton's an interesting guy. Shackleton was a guy who had been on a previous cruise. Actually, he was a, he was a British soldier. I mean, a sailor. He had uh, been in, in two other cruises before, and this was the first one though that he was leading. And his desire was to go further, closer to the the lower pole the end of the, uh, there what we think of like the end of the world, to be the, like the first one to get there. And he had a really strong crew with guys and they were ter terrific and they went all the way down like in towards what we would call Antarctica today. And they were moving in that area and they were looking for this and they had terrific provisions and they were thinking, we are the ones who are going to make it and to be the first ones to get there to really at the bottom of the South Pole. But what happened is it was like a freak storm. And what happened is the ice started building up around their ship faster than they could get rid of it. And so it wasn't very long before they realized that their ship was stuck and that they were no longer attached to land. They were like on a large, huge, massive piece of ice that was floating. And they realized that they were in deep trouble because that ice was moving and moving in different ways. And so particularly at night, you could hear these strange, strange noises coming out from the hull of the ship as all these different pieces were rubbing up against their ship. But as time went on, they began to realize that they were not doing very well in trying to be able to do this and to be able to open it up so they could get out. And there suddenly there was this sort of panic of realizing we may never get off this ship. They couldn't get on their cell phone and say, we got a problem here, can you bring in an airplane? People didn't know where they were at. They wouldn't know where to find them. And they became more and more concerned that their, their food was going down and down and down, and they didn't know what to do. And finally, Shackleton, who had to make some very hard decisions, and he said, let's kill all the dogs. They had all kinds of dogs that pulled their sleds, and they said, we're going to die if we don't do something. And many of them were, these guys were very attached to their dogs, like many of us are attached to our dogs. But he said, I'm sorry, but you need to kill them and eat them. It's the only way we're going to survive. That happened, that lasted for a while, but after a while, I was like, this is not going to work. And Shackleton had to make a hard decision. He said, no one knows we're in trouble. We have no way of contacting them. The closest place we can get to is 800 miles away. And about this point, the ship finally went down in pieces. In fact, I can get a picture of it just before it went down. And there they were on the ice, part of the ice flow. And the thing was crushed, and the pieces kind of went down. And so Shackleton had to make a very hard decision. He had about 25 men there, and what he did is he took about five of them and said, guys, I don't know if we can do this, but we have to try. They had one small boat that could hold four or five guys. And of course, as many of you know, in that part of the world, the, the, it's just terrible, and not just the cold, but the waves and the wind. They said, we've got to try. We have to try to see if we can rescue our men. And so day after day, they kept on going, trying to get to a place called Elephant Island. And they had just terrible times. They came to the point where they were so close, they thought they could be there, but then they realized it was not the place they were looking for. 
And finally they got to it and they found there was this place and yet the storm was so great they couldn't bring their little boat in. They were starved, they were hungry, they were cold. Some of them had a terrible frostbite and things were just very, very hard for them. And finally the next day it was not so bad in the surf and they brought the boat in. And they brought it up on land and they realized they were on the wrong side of the island. And they had no way of getting out. And it was like, you know, what's going to happen here? And so Shackleton took one other guy who had climbed some mountains before and said, we've got to climb this mountain if we're going to save our men. And so there in the cold and the snow and the sleet, they climbed a mountain, came down the other side, and there was a whaling station. And they quickly told them what's going on. They sent a boat over to get the guys, that, the three other guys that had just made it there. And they said, we have guys that are starving. We need you to help us. But the question is, it's not like they're on a Pacific place. They're on an ice flow that is moving. So the question is, how in, the ma in this massive ocean are we ever going to find these men? But he said, we have to try. And so after a few days, and they were feeling better, they put them on a boat, and they had a better boat going, and they got them going. And for days after days, they looked and they looked, and then one day they looked, and they realized there were people on an ice shelf. And they came and they rescued every single one of the men. And when they came back, they were like heroes, like nobody could believe they got as far as they did and they survived. But it was a great story of their generation of what it means to be rescued. For them, Shackleton was, Shackleton was an amazing man. They were rescued. He was on every newspaper. Uh, things were tough for him. He didn't do well in the long term, but he was for many times a great hero because he rescued people when it seemed like there was absolutely no way that it could ever happen. Today, we have those same things in a similar way that's going on southern Italy. You have crowded places where you have boats that people have two to three times what should be on there, and people are throwing their children up onto boats to try to give them a better life to get them into Italy. And of course, many of them get fall off the boat because they're so crowded like this, and to their credit, a lot of these guys that are for the Italian group are out there trying to save these people as they come off these boats and fall off these boats, and they risk their lives for it. They're heroes as well, not in the same way as Shackleton, but a heroes as well. This morning, what we're talking about is the ultimate rescue. The ultimate rescue is obviously, you don't have to think much about it if the theme is salvation, it's what Christ has done for us. And it's often easy when we have this time at Christmas time to think about the wonderful things and wasn't that a cute baby and wasn't it neat how you know, the God provided a place for them in the manger. All of that is true. All of that is good. But the whole point is going to the fact that this is the ultimate rescue that God is bringing to mankind. And there's times when we forget that we absolutely need to be rescued. And this is one of the problems that our culture has today. We have many people who are, quote, part of what we call the Christian world. They maybe have some connection with that, who say, yeah, I don't, I don't need that, and don't realize that every person needs to be rescued. Every person needs God's grace. And yet, so many times, we forget all about that. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1, the first couple of verses, is in a very interesting passage. And there in the apostle Paul writes this, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him up from the dead. And to all the brothers who are with me in the churches of Galatia. This would be uh, going back to now today. It would be like in, uh, in the areas there. Now look at verse 3. 
grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, and notice this key verse, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Now, it's interesting we recognize that when we talk about the kingdom in the Gospels, it talks about the coming of the kingdom, that the kingdom is here, and yet the kingdom is yet not fully here. We pray the Lord's Prayer and talk about thy will be done. It has not yet happened. But what's interesting here is when Paul is writing, he says how Christ gave himself. And that was the cost of our redemption is from the death of Jesus Christ. And he says what purpose was to rescue us, that we maybe not even aware of it, that we were facing death, we were facing destruction, we were facing hell. And how what times it is when we know sin so well, say, like, yeah, I've been there, read that, sorry, the message, knowing that, what's going on. We forget the reality and the significance of it. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This word, uh, to rescue, exereo, in Greek has this idea to set free, like, you know, like a prisoner, to deliver a person that goes well with our passage, and to rescue. And it's used here, it's a fairly common word. They use this term here to describe the fact that God in his mercy has rescued his people from judgment, from death, from the fact, the fact that the world is broken. And so we have this great term that uses, that describes what's going on. Paul describes this later in his book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 12. He said, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin. In this way, death spread to all men because all sin. Paul's obviously making the point every single person who's ever been born, who's ever from the flock of Adam over those, all those many thousands of generations, you are born with the fact that it's like you've got a deadly virus that's in your body, really in your heart. And that brings death to all. Death is the one thing that we all have in common. There's physical death. That's, that's bad. That's hard. But far more worse is spiritual death. Physical death, if you're a believer, you can be with Christ forever, but spiritual death is forever and ever and forever. And so Paul says, do you realize just how dangerous this is to be apart from God? And so Paul wants to make the clear, it's all have sinned, he says in another passage, and come short of the glory of God. And so Paul wants people to understand, saying, listen, you may not realize it, that you're under such a, in such a danger, but he's saying you are. Look at this passage, he says here. So then, as though one trespass, excuse me, as through one trespass, there is condemnation. Then going back to Adam and Eve, through Adam's failure. Through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act, Christ giving himself, his death on the cross and his resurrection, through one righteous act, there is life-giving justification. I love that phrase, life-giving justification. We who live under the shadow of death can have life-giving justification. God doesn't look us in our sin. He sees us as justified, declared, not guilty, that we can have a life with him through life-giving justification for everyone. And then verse 19, for just as through one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, 
so also through that one man's obedience, Christ, the many will be made righteous. Paul looks at the very core of this. You know, it was interesting. I was working on this message on the fourth week of Advent, and you're talking about salvation. It's like, where do you begin? It's like, you know, there's so much in the Bible about salvation. But you recognize, well, that's because it is one of the key things that we understand in the scriptures, that God has redeemed them. We have redemption, freedom. But it came at an awful cost for Christ. And though he says, through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Some people don't realize that they're in deep trouble. And sometimes they don't realize it. They find out, like, man, I need to do something because things are bad. And that's true for all of us. And the reality is, when we recognize, and here we are in this theme, the fourth week of Advent, and we're talking about salvation, we're talking about how do we respond to this? Well, part of it is we just did it. By worship. We worship to the Lord saying, we recognize we deserved judgment in hell. Instead, we were given life. We were given hope. Not because of what we have done, but what Christ has done for us. And so one of the ways that we respond to the truth of Advent, the fourth week, when we're talking about salvation, is this is not something we earn. It's not like God said, yeah, well, you did such many things, and I think you're good enough. We're going to let you slide in. It's saying you're not going to go anywhere apart from the fact that you accept what Christ has done for you. He has done for you what you could never do for yourself. And he says we respond in that and worship to greatness to God. That gratitude, that worship, it leads us to humility. Because we realize, I am being saved, rescued, delivered, not because of anything I did, but because of what Christ has done for me. That is the, one of the most important understandings you ever have to get to understand the gospel. We, have, we, can be, we are humble because of this. We realize it's not because I was such a great guy. It's because we have such a great Savior. And that's our focus. Gratitude leads to humility. The Apostle Paul put it this way again. For while we were still helpless at the appointed time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die just for, uh, die just for one, for, excuse me, someone die just for just a just, just person. But God proves his own love for us. And I love this phrase in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that phrase. It didn't say, after God gave me 48 things to do and get it right, that God said, maybe I'll let you squeeze into heaven. It's just the opposite. While we were helpless, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners, he seems to go out of the way saying, did you earn this? No. Did you earn this? No. Did you earn this? No. Then how can you be saved? Only by the mercy of a great God, who in his mercy gives us salvation and grace. For while we were still helpless at the appointed time, Christ died for the ungodly. Those aren't good terms. He's not making you happy by saying, yeah, you're just a great guy. We're so glad to have you in heaven. Here's your little wonderful bungalow. You can live up here in heaven with us. It's saying when we did not want him, when we did not seek him, that he sought us in our filth, in our foolishness, 
in our stupidity, in our sin, and yet he loved us. You've never experienced love like that other than from God himself. And so what we have in the scriptures reminds us of what we have here when we talk about Advent, we talk about the fourth week, we talk about salvation. It's at the core of what we are, who we are, and what we're all about. And out of that sense, gratitude. Out of that comes the humility, knowing I don't earn this, it's pure mercy, it's pure grace. But what comes out of it is compassion. Because all around us, there's people who don't know the Lord. All around the world, there are people who don't know the Lord. We have been given a wonderful opportunity now in this age of technology of getting the world out, but it's getting the word out through the word. But still, even around us, in the people that we know at work, the people who are neighbors, the people who we work side by side with, do they know the fact that because of the act of Adam, which is the act of all mankind, that they are under God's judgment? Most people today don't want to hear that kind of stuff. Let's just sing the happy choruses. Happy choruses aren't going to get you to heaven. But recognizing that what Christ has done for you is more than sufficient for you to have a relationship with God and eternal life with him forever. Gratitude leads to humility. Humility ought to leave us, lead us to compassion. Because if you care for somebody, would you want them to have, go to hell, to not be able to experience life with God? And yet many of us are so fearful of even saying a word to people. Well, you know, I feel awkward when I do with it, and I don't like, you know, doing this kind of thing. It's just caring for people. It's loving people. Loving them to Christ. And yet in our culture, it becomes more and more difficult for people to do so. There's a great passage, that I, not a passage, but a great quote from John Calvin that I've used many, many times. He said, you know, the gospel does not fall from the clouds like rain by accident, but it's brought by the hands of men to where God has sent it. We had rain yesterday. Didn't get anybody saved in doing it that I'm aware of. But it's saying he does. The gospel does come through us. People say, well, why would he use us? We're so stupid, we make mistakes, we don't do what we do. This is the plan that God has chosen for humanity, that we would be the people that God would use to let them know the good news about Jesus. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Here's what I'm asking me to do. It's a prayer at Christmas of saying this, Lord Jesus, would you be willing to give me an opportunity in some way to touch somebody's life this Christmas? Whether you get the whole opportunity to share them with the good news of the gospel and go through the gospel with them and let them understand, it may be just a kind word. It may be just going far enough if they're willing to go. But maybe just even planting the seed, realizing there's someone behind you who will take that seed. And as God works through the power of the Holy Spirit, that seed will grow. And we'll never know till we get to heaven how many people's lives we've touched until we get there. And we see how God has used us. And so here's my question for you again. Would you ask God? Would you ask the Lord, say, Lord, would you help me to be aware of the people around me? Would you give me the privilege of just showing kindness to a person, of showing love to a person, if given the privilege to be able to share with them the good news of Christ in a gracious way? 
in a way where they realize that you have concern for them. There are many people who are going to have a wonderful Christmas this Christmas, but there's a lot of broken people. There's a lot of hurting people. And your word to them could be not just a matter of encouragement. It could be just one little place in their heart that's going to grow. One seed that becomes and grows and bigger and bigger. And you've got the privilege of being a part of it. So there's the challenge for you today. In the midst when we talk about the fact that we, every one of us here as Christians, every one of us here, we have been rescued. The question is, how are you involved to rescue those around you? Are you willing to say, Lord Jesus, would you give me opportunities, openings, some way where I could touch the life of someone else? And know that you may use another person, and maybe years before another person, where all that germinates through the power of the Holy Spirit, but where God says, you know what? When you get to heaven, you look back and say, yep, do you remember when you talked to that person? Yeah, whatever happened? Well, he's right over here in heaven. You want to go talk to him? Well, wouldn't that be cool? So the request I have for you, for me, is will you ask the Lord to give me an opportunity in this season when there's so much joy mixed with so much sorrow that you'd ask the Lord to give you an opportunity, you who have been rescued, to care about rescuing others. Our Father, we thank you for the scriptures that you've given us. We thank you for the fourth week of Advent and the, Christ, and the candle that we have, the Christ candle. And we thank you it reminds us that every one of us here are believers have been rescued Help us to have that same kind of desire to rescue others. We realize we can't say no one. It has to be through the power of your spirit, and yet you give us the privilege of sharing the good news with others so that they too can know the, know the love that Christ has for them. Be with us now as we continue in our worship, we pray. Amen.